0: All right, good morning, good to, good to be with you again this morning. I appreciate the warm welcome uh, you've given me these last two weeks, and uh, I, I appreciate that, and that is significant. You know, I've uh, been reminded multiple times over the years, the first 15 feet that people step into church has a big impact on whether or not they come back. And uh, be assured, I will come back, okay? So, uh, But just I know that's important, and I appreciate that, that warm greeting, and, and people appreciate that. You just never know what people walk in the church with. And that gracious greeting uh, can be very meaningful. But uh, I'm glad you uh, defined the YAH breakfast. I thought maybe that might have been youth are hungry breakfast. You know, I thought the, the youth might have been crying out for food, and as they often do. Uh, I have a little, actually I have uh, eight kids, five girls, three boys, and those three boys, it's like they're always hungry. I mean, it's, uh, I can never keep enough food in those boys. So if you join me in First Thessalonians this morning, doing a two-part series with you. This is the one church in the New Testament that Paul, there's no warnings in this epistle. There's no correction, no rebukes, just encouragement and and a lot of noteworthy and praiseworthy things he identifies uh, with this church. And uh, last week we looked at, okay, what are these things? What is the fruit of the gospel in this church? And then this morning we're going to look at the how? How do we uh, bear the same fruit? How how can we, as a body of Christ, demonstrate the same evidence of the effectual working of the gospel in our hearts and our lives? Let's open a word of prayer this morning, and we'll get into our study together. Father, it's just good to be here on the Lord's Day, and God, I'm just thankful for uh, who you are, and uh, just what you've done in our hearts and our lives, and I'm thankful for the gospel. That in the gospel of Jesus Christ, your son, we can be saved and delivered from the penalty of sin. Uh, we can experience power to overcome the, uh, the power of sin that works within us. But God, also, God, there's a future hope uh, that we'll be delivered from the very presence of sin. And so as we are humbled by that great truth, it gives us hope. Uh, it encourages us. It emboldens us to keep growing. I trust, God, that your spirit will minister your truth to us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Early on, I think it was my second year teaching, uh, one of my mentor teachers. He had been in the profession for 30-plus years, a very brilliant man, Uh, served in the military, was an engineer in the military, and he taught high school science for 30 years. So here I am, fresh out of college, in year one, year two, very zealous, uh, trying to do a good job. And I trying to be creative with the how-tos of teaching, so students learn. And I was teaching chemistry, and I was uh, designing this activity to examine the pH, how acidic or how basic solutions are. And, and I came up with this great idea, and I was going to use red cabbage juice as an indicator, and I was all excited. I went into his room after school, and I shared my plan. And I lay it all out there, and of course, in my heart, I'm like, yes, mentor teacher's going to think I'm doing great. He's going to pat me on the back. He's going to be impressed. And he looked at me a little perplexed, and he thought for a minute, and he goes, what do you think those students are going to learn in that? And I sat there, and I really, really wanted to have a good answer, but I didn't have one. So I walked away going, mm, okay, I still have some things to figure out. And uh, my point was that uh, my idea, there was still something lacking. And what marvels me about this church is Paul identifies all these great things they're doing. But he, his heart is he wants to come and minister to them to fill up or complete what was lacking in their faith. Then all throughout the epistle, there's encouragement. There's a plea to keep going, uh, but also a recognition of they haven't arrived. This is quite a challenge because as you look at what they're doing well, it's very impressive, but the call is to keep going. To give you a quick review here, um, in Acts chapter 17 we see Paul. It's on a second uh, missionary journey. He plants his church because of opposition. The Christians encourage him uh, to leave, so he goes to Athens. Him and Timothy get separated. Timothy rejoins them, and as as they pray for this church, Paul's burden becomes. Uh, concern for them that the opposition would hinder. Uh, he he tells them that in, in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Um, look at verse 5 of chapter 3. It says, For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent him to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. That was his burden. That was his, his concern for the church. So he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica, He's there, he ministers, and then he returns with Paul and gives this glowing report. And upon that glowing report, Paul writes this letter and then sends Timothy back. And as you read through the epistles, just as a side note, I become very impressed with the humility and commitment of ministry on Timothy's behalf. Uh, You see some words of commendation in the book of Philippians where he references Timothy. He says, like a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And uh, so you can really see that in these little side notes here in these different epistles. So Timothy returns with this letter, and here we are, and you see these words of commendation. Uh, the purpose of the book, what why was Paul writing? He's obviously the initial of sending Timothy was his concern that the Satan and opposition had hindered the work of the gospel. But then he sends this letter. So if they're doing so well, why send this letter? Turn to chapter 3 with me. Here's the purpose. And you see it sprinkled in here a couple different places. You, you can see that a lot in Paul's prayers for the people. Chapter 3, verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. May the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Amen. Chapter 4, verse 1. Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus as you have received instruction from us in how you should live and please God as you are doing, do this even more. What is he communicating here? He wants them to keep going keep growing there's a goal here he he says in verse 13 in chapter 3 may he make your hearts blameless without offense according to what standard holiness who are we accountable to god and the father god and father when at the coming of our lord jesus christ that's his burden that's his passion that's his desire is that they would keep growing we call this sanctification uh, and listen, as you trusted Jesus Christ to save you from the penalty of sin, that same heart-filled, faith-filled, humble, grace-filled response should be true of our hearts and lives every day. Not to be saved from the penalty of sin, but to be saved from that power of sin that could still work within us since we are still present with the sin nature. Now, you've been circumcised, you've been separated from the flesh, But that sin nature still exists. And Ephesians says it can still corrupt your desires and your thinking and all of your desires and thinking of your inner man is not completely transformed at the point of salvation. And God promises you that he will finish. He will complete this. He says you can be confident of this work that he's doing in you, and it's a good work, according to Philippians chapter 1. So he's recognizing, wow, you guys are really growing. There's words of commendation we'll look at, but he says, don't stop. Don't become content. Don't don't rejoice too much in your success. That blinds you to keep you from growing. Uh, Take a look at the the fruit of the church. Go back to chapter 1 with us. Look at verse 2. We always thank God for all of you making mention of you constantly in our prayers. Imagine being in this church. Timothy's return, and you're hearing this letter being read for the first time. I mean, aren't your hearts dear towards the one who led you to the Lord? I mean, it's hard for me not to get emotional as I referenced the man who lived out Christ in my life. As an 18-year-old young man, um, uh, loving the world and and pursuing an identity and an ambition for my own glory, uh, he was a man that I was aspiring to become. He was everything that I wanted to be in life. As an 18-year-old, I wanted to become this collegiate All-American. I wanted to be this All-American kind of guy. And I had a coach who was this. But I could tell that wasn't his purpose. As he lived out the gospel, the light that was seen through his life is the very light that God used to draw me to himself. As I drew near to him, I was drawing near to Christ, and I inquired, And he graciously led me through a Bible study for six months, uh, leading me to Christ and discipling me uh, before God moved him on. I'm so thankful. So imagine you're in church and you have a letter from the apostle who may have led you to Christ and encouraged you to be faithful and help plant this church. And you're hearing this from Paul and Timothy it says, we always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. Boy, that would be great comfort. It is great comfort. You know, they, they were enduring opposition. Paul's saying, hang in there. We're praying for you. I know we can't be there with you. Verse 3, we recall in the presence of our God and our Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And those three concepts, he's going to expound on each of those a little bit throughout the epistle, especially in chapter four. We'll come back to that verse four. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, just how he just inserts that right there. God loves you. Suffering is not because it's suffering is not punishment. Uh, God loves you. He has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit. And you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord Jesus, when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 7. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you. That phrase literally means like a trumpet. The sound of the trumpet goes forth. That's, that's humbling. What is my reputation speaking ahead of me? What do people hear about me, my family? Is it going to remind people or invite people or introduce people to the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, i got to examine my heart, examine my life through the lens of Scripture. What does God want to change? The word of the Lord rang out from you. They received the word, they were so changed by it that the testimony of that change spoke volumes to people. This is not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you. And here's their testimony, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So he commends these three things, this work of faith, this labor of love, this endurance of hope. Notice, be careful to note, there's fruit as a result of the inward reality. So very much on a principle basis, how we live, what we say, what we do, it is a clear reflection of the inward reality. If I'm living by faith, dependent upon the gospel of Jesus Christ in me, what's going to come forth is the fruit of the very nature of God. But if I'm living in the flesh, whether I'm sinning or just going through the motions, you're going to see the nature of self-effort, uh, vain glory. Uh, there's no life in that. And what does he commend here? He says three things. Work. Work. That's produced by faith. So, again, this is very much the heart of James chapter 2. If genuine faith exists in you, there's going to be work that springs forth. That's a direct fruit of the reality of that genuine faith. The second one, he says, your labor motivated by love. This is a labor that toils to the point of exhaustion. And only God's love enables you to do that. As I was working with one of my daughters here recently, she was coming home with some frustration with a, a friend at school. And as we walked through it, to help her to be responsible in her own heart. Okay, why are you upset? Why are you frustrated? Hey, when it comes down to it, you know, your your own desire, your own expectations are not being met here. James chapter four. Um, let's be cleansed of that. Walk in the spirit. Let the fruit of the spirit of his love enable you to love this friend. I go in light of that, I go, now do you see when God asks us to love our enemies, how impossible that is apart from Christ in us. This is a labor. This is a love that will go the extra mile. The third one is your endurance. This is a perseverance. Uh, This is with circumstances, with opposition, with trial, with suffering. What enables us to continue on? it's the hope that we have in Christ. And this is not a I hope so. Chicago Bears have a big game today playing the Minnesota Vikings. I hope they win. That's not the hope that this is talking about here. This is a a hope that is centered in a 100% assurance, conviction, resolution that I know the outcome. And because I know the outcome, I can endure in Christ, this is the worst it's going to get for us down here, and that is not to make any uh, make light of any suffering anybody's going through here. But you look at the suffering that Paul went through. What was his testimony to the church of Corinth? He says, "But this light affliction is just but for a moment. Uh, we have a hope that enables us to endure." So he commends these three things. Take a look at. Uh, go to chapter four. Look at verse eleven. In verse 12, so as you look through this book and as you study it, where do you see the evidence of this work of faith? Well, the idea here is faith is going to lead you to live a life that's blameless, without offense. Acts chapter 24, verse 16, Paul testifies. He says, I aim daily to always exercise myself to have a clear conscience before God and before men. And Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, if you don't keep a clear conscience, you could end up shipwrecked. And between those two epistles, he identifies a couple men who became guilty of that. So, this keeping a clear conscience, recognizing I don't want to do anything or say anything that's going to hinder the work of the gospel in somebody else's life. How is this church performing that? Look at verse 11, verse 12 of chapter 4. Uh, it says to seek to lead a quiet life, quiet life here, being peaceable with others, to mind your own business to work with your own hands as we've commanded you so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. Those truths right there makes you understand the purpose of those things, of being peaceable, minding your own work, being diligent, uh, living a life of repentance, uh, being obedient, just faithful. What's the purpose in that? It's so that we would live properly among the unsaved so that the light of the gospel will be seen that light might be used by god to draw other people to himself that is a fruit of the genuine faith that works within you the labor of love where do we see that back up a couple verses look at verse 9 it says about brotherly love you don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by god to love one another in fact you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. What a challenge. You know, love is one of those things, if you ask 10 people, they're going to define it 10 different ways. Um, We become very much accustomed to this truth uh, without taking the time to examine and reflect, do I genuinely love everyone? in the body, outside the body and again as you start examining that let me let me give you a, a little insight peter comes to mind you yeah, know we're, we're kind of hard on peter okay uh, but he's a great reflection of just the fleshly reactions and somebody who's transparent and willing to grow uh, he often demonstrates what we either think or in, inwardly react but maybe don't let it be revealed comes to jesus says, hey how many times do i uh, forgive my brother Seven times? And of course, we like roll our eyes, like, really, Peter? Seven times? Come on, you know, it's all the time. But think about it for a minute. You know, the first time, uh, let's say one of my kids leaves the refrigerator door open, it's like, oh, yeah, I got him. Son, don't forget, you know, you want to close the refrigerator door. You know, fairly patient. The second time it happens, okay, be patient. Son, let me just remind you, don't forget. I know you're in a hurry. Just take the time. Close the door. Okay, but inwardly you're like, okay, really? Third time. It's like you've had, son, listen, how many times do I need to remind you of this? I didn't even get to seven before the flesh really reveals itself, right? Peter, so I really think Peter's thinking through this seven times. And in response, Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. Seventy times every day. There's no limit. Now, we don't have that ability. When you consider the depravity of man, the sin nature, we lack this apart from Christ. So it's so imperative. We have to walk in the Spirit. He pleads with the Galatians. You foolish Galatians, you began in the Spirit. What made you think you could be perfected by the flesh, trying to outwardly conform to the law? Here you have a church that's doing this. This is impressive. This is a people who's loving others. Even when it's uncomfortable. Even to the point that it toils. It wearies. But it's for the gospel's sake. That endurance. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do this within us. That's a love that labors. The third one is the endurance of hope. You see evidence of this. Look over to chapter 5, verse 1. About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you don't need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Uh, he says, verse 4, For this day to, is not going to surprise you. You're not of the darkness. You're of the, the night, or you're of the day, not of the night. You're not belonging in darkness. You're of the, the light. Uh, he says, uh, look at verse 13 or verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those. He goes on. There's several places in there where he identifies that they were ready. And in chapter 4, when he teaches about the rapture, it is not to uh, instruct them so much. It's to remind them. He says, use this to comfort one another. Keep encouraging other, each other to endure. So there was a willingness to endure. They were ready. Look back to chapter 1. Look at verse 6. It says, You yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when in spite of severe persecution you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. What was the result? You became an example. Um, Also again in verse 10, he says, And to wait or to endure with this hope For his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. So there's evidence that they were enduring severe persecution. I enjoy when we have at the college here. Again, I'm I'm still fairly new. It's year two for me, but we have that missions conference, and you hear uh, missionaries come back and and share how God's working and how how he's uh, furthering the gospel in in different lands. Uh, A dear friend of mine, he was a retired Iowa City police officer, he was a bomb squad director. And he was a SWAT team leader. He works with ABWE. He oversees a thousand missionaries. He makes the decision of whether or not they go back in or come out of the country. Um, you know, just like exercising the wisdom of God. There were times Christians, Paul, you need to leave. Jesus withdrew himself from crowds. He makes these decisions. And I've listened to some of the things missionaries are enduring. And I think, I'm not. I'm being persecuted. Uh, There were some things, some trials and some opposition over the years as a result of how God worked in small town Iowa. It's not persecution like we see around the world. These folks were enduring persecution. How are they able to do this? Because of the hope they have in Christ. You think about that work of faith, labor of love, endurance of hope. Think about everything you face in life. It's either with People, circumstances, or temptation—they were winning. They were they were bearing fruit in all three arenas of life. They were loving people, not having conflicts with people, or responding wisely in conflict. Circumstances in the face of opposition, in the face of persecution, there was endurance. In terms of temptation, they were living a life of repentance. They were turning from idols. They were growing and becoming blameless in holiness. This church is, in, is impressive. There is a deep hunger, thirst, commitment to live for the glory of God with this church. As I look at these three areas, I, I was challenged. I was reminded of a season of sanctification in my life. As an educator, I remember... Uh, there was this little 30 minute period at the end of the day they called it a seminar period where students could work on homework, get help from teachers. and um, my second year teaching, my principal calls me in and, and gave some words of commendation. He's like, you know what you really I've watched and observed you handle our most challenging students better than anybody I've seen. I was humbled by this and and uh, encouraged and said, oh wow, this is great you know, this is what you know a second or third year teacher needs to hear right you know working really hard and get discouraged at times and my heart the whole time i just wanted to be a missionary i just wanted to be an ambassador for christ he goes you know because of that i'm going to give all our difficult students to you during that (laughs) seminar period (laughs) and inside i'm like no outwardly i'm like okay thank you praise god okay and i had a young man in there uh, who really defied had problems with authority and uh boy we just we butted heads and of course, and then I would come home discouraged. Oh, it's a terrible testimony today. And I'm like letting, trying to, I got to let God sanctify me in this. He's sovereign. I want to become a good testimony. I need to grow. I know I'm not there yet. He's not going to leave me the way he's found me. I know this. So I'm confessing my anger, my reactions in the flesh. Holy Spirit cleanse me. So the next day I'd renew my commitment. Uh, you know, I'd like tension builds. That we're getting closer to that 3 o'clock part of the day. He's going to come in here. That was my cue to pray, Lord, I just want to die to self, and, I, and I'd just be filled with your spirit. And I started to greet him at the door. I'd apologize. I'd even ask for his forgiveness when I overreacted, and he would just, uh, then he started to open up and express his complaint towards authority, and I had to kind of walk through that, and God developed a burden. As I prayed for him, as I allowed God to change me, to become more blameless, to love. I didn't have the ability to love this young man. And one day I had this teachable moment with him. I was like, you know what? Let's be honest. You're not going to escape authority in life. I know you think you get out of your home, you get out of the school, you get out on your own. You think you're free. I said, honestly, that's slavery. You're never going to be able to escape authority. I said, I want to encourage you. I said, I would love to work with you and help you to learn how to respond to authority now. So as you're out on your own, You can be successful with structures of authority in our society, employment, in your future home. And he didn't say anything for the first time. There was no reaction. didn't complain. didn't defend himself. I'm like, wow, I might be actually getting through this guy. That night, he calls me. And uh, he says, hey, I've been thinking about what you've been saying, and I think I would like to know more about that, which really got me excited. I said, put your mom on the phone. Is why? Well, I said, just put your mom on the phone. I'm really excited at this pom- moment. So I talked to mom and said, hey, look, they're working with your son. I know he has conflicts in your home. I says, what I'd really like to share with him, though, is how my faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ can change his heart, your home. May I have your permission to talk to him about these things? And she's like, uh, uh, well, yeah, sure. So he got back on the phone. I shared a little bit with him. We started to meet, and uh, eventually he came to Christ uh his family started to come to church. I uh, was able to lead his girlfriend to Christ and God did a great work there, but it all started with I had to be sanctified first. That opposition was the means by which God used to humble me, change my heart because I didn't want to love him. I at the end of the day, when you're teaching and coaching and Trying to be a good husband and a good dad and you're in youth ministry and you're doing all these things. That irritation, it's just easy to, I don't want to deal with this right now. But when you recognize the sovereignty of God and he doesn't want to leave us the way he's found us. And we have these high, this high calling to become blameless in holiness before God. To be changed in his image. I submitted myself for that one the two plus months of sanctifying me. And then the open door came. So how do we do this? Well, look at Paul's prayer. This is Paul's prayer. Chapter 3, verse 11. May our God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus Christ, direct our way to you. Verse 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another, for everybody, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before God and our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss it there. May he make your hearts. May he. Okay, look at chapter 5, verse 23, verse 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Listen, this is a work that only God can do. This is a work that only God can do. You know, I think about how long did Jesus allow the disciples to get across that sea in the storm? I mean, imagine this massive. If you look at the text, and these are expert fishermen. This was a massive storm. They couldn't control this. And what do you see? They're frantically trying to get water out of the boat. It's like, really? A little ice cream bucket just getting water out of the boat, is that really going to solve the situation you're in? It's a great picture of our self-effort, how we react in moments of panic, how we react when things aren't going our way. We either want to escape it, or we try to control it. We can't. Just We need to turn to the Savior. They wake him up, calms the storm, he rebukes them. Oh, ye of little faith, did you just forget what you've seen on the shore? You know, we just need to stop trying to do this in our own efforts. And let's just start our day, Lord, today. I express my dependence upon you today. God, apart from you, I can do nothing. Apart from you, I am nothing. Lord, today I commit to walk in your spirit as I abide in you and your words abide in me. God, God, the evidence, the fruit of who you are will be seen through my life. I'll have an ability to work for you. I'll have an ability to love others. I'll have an ability to endure. It's because of the evidence. It's because of the reality of Christ in me. So how does God do this? First of all, he's the one that does it. Go back to chapter one. Let me explain the means by which God does this and we'll be done this morning. There's a lot packed. Typical Paul Uh, Church epistles here. There's just so many truths packed away in here. I mean, another sub-theme of this book is the role of trial. You you can't separate growth from trial. It's it's one of the means God uses. Look at verse 4 through 6. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. Now, Paul's not saying my gospel. He's identifying the true gospel. And it's not a prideful, arrogant thing here. He recognizes God has chosen me to be an apostle. He states this in Colossians chapter 1. He's not boasting. He's saying, I mean, he often said, I'm not worthy of this, but I will live to try to be worthy, not to gain favor, but in response of being grateful. He's saying the true gospel, first of all, That's the first means by which God uses us to change us, to use us. He has to change us to use us. It's what displays glory of God. The first means is the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, not false gospels. What would those look like today? There are some teachings in America, in the church, um, that suffering is um, not God's will. That uh, God doesn't want me to be miserable, so therefore my current circumstances. I see this at the college. God, in his providential working, stress comes through academics. Stress comes through finances. Stress comes through a lack of sleep and maybe a conflict with a roommate. And a guy will come in and say, you know what? I'm really starting to question whether or not I'm supposed to be here or not. Okay, explain to me. How did you come to this conclusion? And really what they're communicating is jump out of the fire. I don't like the situation I'm in. I'm out like no God is doing this in his sovereignty he's got to use these trials to change us stay in the fire the point is to help you to see you can't do this from Genesis to Revelation this is one of the things that God did with his people Deuteronomy chapter 8 he says I led you those 40 years to humble you to test you to show you what's in your heart whether or not you would be faithful to me Proverbs takes that chunk of gold in the, in the surrounding rock, you put it through fire. It melts. The impurities, because they're a different density, would rise to the surface, and that goldsmith would shear off those impurities. Then you have a pure gold liquid form that you could mold, pour into a mold. And he uses that as a picture of how God tests our hearts. The trials as part of our growth. It's going to reveal our shortcomings. It's going to reveal the things that God wants to change. Embrace it. Trust God. You can trust him. He's a great physician. His hand is never going to leave the thermostat. He knows exactly how hot to get the temperature. He's never going to tempt you beyond what you can bear in him. He says he will provide a way of escape, not for you to escape it, but for you to endure it. The fire, he uses the gospel, the sovereign working of God through trials, opposition, Another means by which God uses to empower us is His power. That word, this is a great word study. Compare this to man's efforts. Our efforts are futile, but there's a supernatural power in the Holy Spirit that enables you to love your enemies, that enables you to be changed by His grace. Um, I could speak more on that. The Holy Spirit is another means by which God uses. Don't trust in your own resources. Uh, I, was, I was counseling somebody recently, and they were discussing, we were talking about depression. And depression is another one of those terms. That means so many different things in 2018. And, it's, and you have to look at the context of the person, things they've walked through. Uh, and they were asking questions about, was well, what about the chemical imbalance? So you have to separate the brain from the mind. The brain, the physical chemistry of the brain, you have to separate that from the spiritual mind. You can never give a reason for the sin other than that we are sinners. The brain chemistry can turn the volume up, okay? And medications or natural remedies can, can turn the volume down. But if there's, there's sin, that's because I'm a sinner, But if you're in Christ, that's no longer your identity. The Holy Spirit in in Philippians talks about you have this power of the resurrection in the Holy Spirit. He can enable you to discover the roots that create problems. And as we see those and we're changed by them, the Holy Spirit enables us to be faithful. In our efforts, it's futile. Another means by which he uses to change us. He says, Uh, that you received the gospel. It did not come to you in word only, but in power and the Holy Spirit with full assurance. Uh, This is beautiful. It means a wealth of certainty. You understand? The word of God is a wealth of certainty. Doubt and confusion is not from God. But you can gain assurance and certainty through the scriptures. And finally, the use of trial Uh, If you look at verse 6 again, uh, also this element of faith, but you yourselves became imitators of us in the Lord Jesus Christ in spite of severe persecution. There's a role of trials and opposition. And finally, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. What is that? That's faith. That's faith that says, God, I don't understand this. I don't like it. But I trust you. God, I, I'm going to give you the benefit of my struggle right now. I know your word is true. And that's your heart's response. that gives you that full assurance, and it changes you. Another one you see in here is the people of God, and that's why you're here this morning. Hebrews says don't forsake the assembling. This is how you provoke one another toward love and good works. First John, his fellowship horizontally has a cleansing effect on you. To close this morning, as you look at this church, it's, I'm, I'm impressed, but notice why there is such fruit. I'm not against programs and methods and practices, but if that becomes the means by which you're trusting for God to use this church. You're deceived the means by which God's going to use this body and this community to reach people for Christ, to disciple them, to go and do the same thing, to live in dependence upon the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, it's going to be you. Changed into the image of Jesus Christ by His Spirit, by His Word, using trials. God can get more glory changing you in the midst of a trial than us trying to be perfecting a program or a practice not against them there's a place for them but the means by which God uses is right here in Thessalonians so let that be your heart's trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ let's pray God thank you for your word it challenges us this morning God, it it provokes our thinking. God exposes us. Hebrews says it's living and active. It removes the outward shells. It lays us naked before you. But God, may we not be discouraged with that, but just increase our dependence that we need you, Lord Jesus, to change us from the inside out, And, God, we can experience your grace, your power, your Holy Spirit, the the full assurance that we have in Christ enables us. And therein is our hope this morning. I pray and I thank you uh, for this body of believers, how you're using them. But like this church, God, may we keep growing. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.